Hello, welcome to another episode of In Depth with Beth and Seth, an almost weekly podcast from Plymouth Congregational Church, during which we talk about what we heard in the sermon the Sunday prior. My name is Beth Hoffman Faith, and I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth Congregational Church in Minneapolis. And as always, I'm joined by my wonderful colleague, Seth Patterson. Hello, Seth. Hello. And I am full of wonder. That is true. I wonder <laughs> about a lot of things. That is, <laughs> I am full of wonder. That's absolutely true. Hi, everybody. I am Seth Patterson, your Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater, and I am excited to talk about this sermon. It is, it was a doozy. It, it was, was a tough one. Indeed. So we're looking at February 20th. 2022, where our colleague Dwayne Davis had to preach on a very difficult chapter of the Bible from Judges 19. And the title is Think About It and Speak Out. And if you and haven't yet heard it, please stop this now. Mm. Go listen to it and then come back. And we should say that every week, but this one especially. Uh, but I want to give at, at the beginning of it, he does mention uh listen, listener discretion advised I, I would to use the language of our academic institutions give it a trigger warning uh it does talk about great violence and rape and mm -hmm. it, it was it was hard to hear and we should say that you know why would one want to choose this text for preaching well indeed why in, would one <laughs> we're in the midst uh, almost actually at the end of a month of our command to preach series so seth remind us a little bit about about the intent of this and what happens the command to preach series uh, we started last fall we invited members of our community to submit things they would like to hear preached on things expanded explained some things that maybe you're confused on or want more depth in and, and then we pick it out of a, a bowl and when we pick it we have to preach it we, we don't get to choose we don't get to put it back we don't get to say i don't want this one we haven't traded we we take what we're picked but one of the ways in is exactly this one sometimes people want to hear preach something that repels them from the bible something that repels them from faith something that repels them from this this Christian apparatus. And this absolutely is one of those texts that is repellent. How would anybody read this and say, I want to join that religion? That sounds full of love and hope. So that yeah. that is the impetus of this one. And, and Dwayne just happened to pick it. And I think, I don't know if disappointedly, but it coincided with our first Sunday back in person since December due to the COVID Omicron peak here. So there were, it was... I think a desire on Dwayne's part, if I if I heard him right, to welcome people back with something more inviting. Inviting, yeah, that's a good word. Joyful, yes. <laughs> and instead, the commitment was to do this. But it was an excellent sermon, and we we need not shy away from these hard things. And and this, I think, series is a great time to to be asked to deal with them. So appreciate the anonymous requester. And if you haven't read Judges nineteen. I would encourage you to do that in, in light of the sermon and uh, our conversation today. It's a devastating, violent, complicated text because interwoven with these horrific scenes, mostly all violence against women, there are nuggets of when hospitality is offered and received and, and, and it's just, it's complicated. 
It is so absolutely human. And I think that's why it's awful because it is the best and the worst of us in, in the same indeed tiny story. And I've said this before in a podcast, but as a preacher, when I'm given a text or have an assigned text or choose a text from which, which to preach in my study of it, the question that I always ask is where's the good news here? I yeah. believe that as a preacher, that's we are called to do is, is bring forth the good news. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's in a prophetic, almost hard way. Sometimes that's much more pastoral and loving. But I always ask the question, where's the good news? And the difficulty comes when, particularly in a text like this, where I, Seth, I, there, where's the good news? In Dwayne, 19. Dwayne said exactly that in his necessary explanation preamble uh, and again in the sermon of this yeah what what is goodness what comes what is good in here and i think that i was impressed by what he was able to glean from it and i think that he achieved finding some amount of i wouldn't call it good news but necessary news the other question i ask along as where is the good news is where is god in the midst of this text Ooh. also difficult to find my faith leads me to believe that god is with the slain concubine is right there with the suffering and the torture and the trauma but that is not explicit in this text at all that's me making connections um, that other people may not make and so again all of this breeds for a really kind of gut-wrenching preparation and figuring out what can be said about such a text of terror i would offer an, uh, another place that God could be found or the, what I took from it is in the, the old man who offers hospitality to the Levite. That is, could be where God is found because even though God offers us hospitality, infinite love and grace, still in some ways powerless to stop when we are violent against each other. Mm. And that character offered everything and was still powerless to, to watch how the people responded that's my where is God found. But Dwayne didn't talk specifically about that. No. But he did name how we are. I thought it was important to hear is that this is not just a back then kind of violence, that we are still, humanity is still a violent creature. And he lifts up a lot of really hard statistics. Uh, the 20th century was the most violent century on record. More people died due to violence in the 20th century than before in 2019. The leading cause of death for our children, zero to 24, was gun violence, mm. which I don't think I knew that is that explicitly. And that that breaks something inside me. Indeed. And, you know, I just have to go back to your prior point because I, I was about to say, you know, thank you for that perspective and allowing me to understand the text differently. However, that same man who offered hospitality also gave up his daughter and concubine. Oh, that's right. To the men who then raped them. He gave up his daughter. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. Never mind. So, <laughs> so I just... <laughs> I take it all back. I have to... I, and I'm looking through the text. It's a complicated chapter because lots happens. And I was thinking, well, maybe that was earlier in the story. But no, it's the same man, no, which right. makes it complicated. So then you have this sort of extravagant offer of hospitality. But then it turns wicked and sour. And again, I don't know what to do with that. So again, Dwayne wrestled, struggled, 
I think you acknowledged that this was a difficult text to preach from and also offered us an extraordinary message. Uh, many people I know, I was I was there with my two daughters and we were all wrapped uh, with attention and it, and it offered a lot of good conversation. Yeah. Um, later, my, my mother who watches remotely every week said she was, she just hung on every word and really did it well. So what did you glean from this, Seth, aside from these sort of really grim statistics about where we are as a society, um, which are important to know. Um, what about Dwayne's message spoke to you? Well, I appreciated that he was able to, even from the text, like he, he was able to find something from it. He didn't have to pull something out next to it, but the almost the very last line of the story he read, the, the Levite invited all the tribes to quote, consider it, take counsel and speak out. And that is where, Duane landed on what could be gleaned from this story, the idea of speaking out. And, and I, I do appreciate that and think that that fits into a, a larger general conversation that we seem to be having with the congregation through sermons is you each individually and collectively have a voice, use it. And I appreciated that that came out, the idea of speaking out, the, the idea of calling out, the idea of calling in, the idea of naming that which is violent and painful and awful when you see it so that it doesn't go unclaimed somehow. Something I said to you as we were discussing this beforehand, the opposite of love is not hate, it's apathy, mm-hmm. said somebody wiser than me. And and not naming something is a form of apathy. Oh, it's just, what's it matter if I say something? What's it? I just, I don't know. Who am I? What if I'm wrong? All of these things. But speak out. If you see something, say something. Wow, that should be a slogan. <laughs> Well, good one. I'm sure there's a bumper sticker there somewhere. Oh, yeah, but I'd like to read his his last paragraph to answer your question. Mm-hmm. Think about the suffering this kind of violence causes and don't look away. Don't let the safety and reliability of the people and places that protect us deceive us into thinking that all is well, that there is nothing we can do about the violence visited upon others. Think about it and speak Out, speak up for the nameless, speechless women who are raped and abused. Speak out about the murder of our children with firearms. Speak out about war and terrorism, not just when it affects our nation, but all over the world. Let us be the voice of the suffering when our culture, religion, and country ignores, silences, or oppresses them. Yes, yes, yes. And... What I really appreciate about this is that he pays great attention to the biblical story. I mean, it's a, it's a hard story, but most of us don't know the story. You know, I, I, I confess I really to you when we started like, this is not one I've paid any attention to, of course, because it's a really hard text. I've never preached on this chapter of scripture in almost 30 years. But there is so, so we can shut the Bible. We can forget we even knew about this story. It doesn't have great consequence for us. But there is so much in the world that does right now. And so he didn't discount the story, but he made it relevant in lifting up the things that are happening that we need to speak out about. And then this really gripping final paragraph uh, with a prophetic plea to. to and I, I, 
I would disagree that we can just close. Well, maybe some people can, but I would say broadly speaking, most people will not be able to just forget that they ever heard this. Mm. As Elie Wiesel has wisely said, to listen to a witness is to become a witness. And this is not part of us. We've heard this story and we can actively work to put it away and pretend it doesn't exist. But I think most people are just going to sort of live in them. They might forget where it came from, but there will be something gleaned from this some part of the witness to the story that will live on. At least that's my hope. Well, that's true. And so now I'm going to turn to where I always turn to in these here conversations. We is, is We need a sound how. effect here. I, I do. I always come back to this. And I know that this speaking out looks different for us, depending on how we approach it. But again, I'm left with this. I need some instruction. I want some direction. I am a privileged, white, middle-aged woman, I, I don't always know how to effectively use my voice. And I don't say that uh, in order to get kudos about how I, I matter in the world. That's not what I mean. I mean, I'm not really sure how to be effective. I'm not going to use Facebook, for example, as a platform. I'm not comfortable, nor do I, I want to do it louder than that in a way that's more visible than that. I want to how, how do we do this, Seth? Well, lucky for you, I have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) This privileged white man is going to tell you the singular answer. You're welcome. Mm. All right. Let me let me explain this to you. Oh no, I don't. I don't. I don't know either. (laughs) Uh, I I think that a way to approach that necessary question, because I do think that we get debilit we get somewhat debilitated by action Mm -hmm. when we go from all of things are awful. You have a role in this. I have a role in this. Do something. Well, what if I do it wrong? Or what if I don't? I don't know. I, I have to work and I have kids and I have obligations. How? What am I supposed to do? I can't. You. I think part of it is to not be silent about it. So even having this conversation right now, Reverend Hoffman Faith, mm-hmm. is a form of speaking out. There might not be many people who listen to it, and it might not go further than that, but you are. You are not being silent about it. When you hear something in the world that is rooted in this kind of nihilism and violence and apathy, don't just, as I'm feeling like I see more and more people doing, just go, well, everything's wrong. Well, everything's turned into crap anyway. That reaction is the opposite of what Duane is is asking us to do. That is responding to nihilism with apathy. It's mm-hmm. so do whatever it is you can. If you can preach on it, preach on it. If you can talk to one person about it and name it, if you can show up at a vigil or a protest, if you can read more about it, if you can f- give money to an organization, if you can teach your children, if you could teach your grandchildren, if you can teach your elders, if you can help other people know that it's there, then more people will be able to not be silent about it. Well, and I think the important thing to remember, at least this is what I need to remember, is it's not just about speaking out as individuals, but as a community. Right. One of the things that I heard Dwayne say, not in his sermon yesterday, but at one of our Sundays at 10 offerings was that his understanding of church, churches everywhere, is that here's an intentional time that people come together to make meaning in their lives. Yeah. Which is true, right? That was a really powerful statement for me. I needed to hear that yesterday. So did I. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, so we, we come together and we make meaning, and then we need to go and act and change and be in the world. Like, 
collectively. And I think there are places that Plymouth does this really well, and we just need to keep doing it. We need to keep standing together, showing up, speaking out, and not just give up hope that the world could be different. And this includes how we collectively use our privilege. How do we use our building? We have a square block of city. What do we do with it? And our land use task force is talking about this. It is being talked about by our our renters and different partners that we have, but it's also how do we use our money? Plymouth has been given by way of our ancestors and the nameless market abundance. What do we do with it? We're right now in a budget, a time where the board of finance administration is wrestling with a budget and wrestling, I think is really what's happening about what is responsible stewards of money mean? Does it mean to keep it all for us someday, or does it mean using it and investing in now? And how we make that decision is another way of speaking out to hold all of our finances. This is my personal opinion, but to hold all of our finances without touching it and saying this is for some unnamed future time when it can be used and invested in now is a form of silence. Whereas if we were to use some of it and invest in the now, that is a form of speaking out. Our values must match our actions. Our finances must match our values, which match our actions. (laughs) All right, friends. I pray for you courage and strength as you speak out and as you address and approach the atrocities in the world. And know Know that you are not alone. You are not alone. Be well.